there was nothing about quality of life or the impact of triggers day to day, all of that stuff. It was just medication driven. And I had to figure it out myself in terms of what do I want to introduce or remove from my lifestyle that would help in the management of it. So for me, it further emphasized the importance of some of the work we're doing here, literally even for my own use. Welcome to Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. Today, we kick off the next chapter of the DTX podcast. We heard you loud and clear. This industry is here to stay, and therefore, we're moving away from seasons and going evergreen. So what does that mean for you? That just means we will continue bringing you deep conversations and knowledge from trailblazers, policymakers, associations, and of course, patients and health consumers. We do, however, kindly ask you that if this podcast brings you value, to please rate it in your choice of the podcast player and pass it along to at least one friend. But before we dive in, I am very honored to say that Chandana Fitzgerald, CEO of Health Excel, has agreed to continue being my partner in this podcast, asking all the tough questions. And her and I dive into a short recap of last year's DTX news, but also what we're seeing as some of the key trends emerging into 2023 and beyond. I hope you enjoy our evergreen kickoff episode with Chandana Fitzgerald. Chandana, welcome back to the DTX podcast 2023. I was afraid you're going to say no because it's way too much work to actually prep for a lot of these. But you're back. You want more. I am. And I regret it. Because you're right. I think it's so much work. I was stressing out last night. I was like, oh my goodness, I actually need to brush up on my DTX homework because <laughs> I'm speaking to the pro and you're constantly talking to these guests. So it's a lot of pressure. I won't lie. No, I mean, listen, one great thing about it is, A, I love having you as a partner, asking some of the tough questions and commercialization and evidence. And I think this works. We had an amazing season two, I think 40 plus percent growth in our listenership. And we ended season two and then we went into now in 2023, kicking this off. We're going evergreen, which means that it's basically nonstop with some breaks. So we're going to lose the seasonality of this. We're just going to keep an eye out for year to year. And I think until... Well, never say never, right? But until the digital therapeutics, the word digital may or may not disappear from it. So that would be kind of the goal. For our listeners, wanted to rewind back. We're not going to pick every single guest from last year because that will take us hours. We'd like to just fly through and we kicked the season two off in May. May 4th, I believe, was our announcement of season two. And then May 12th, which was my birthday, you and I kicked off our first episode of season two. And then we had numerous guests. Go ahead. I think this is phenomenal. Congratulations, first of all. And I love that you've decided to make this evergreen because that shows a true commitment to what this industry is. It's not kind of a one-off. So here's to the 20 VC of DTX. Ooh, I like that. I'm going to have to tag Harry Stebbings on this. Absolutely. Listen, and wish we had time to dive deeper because for every single guest, there's just so many more questions that I have. I know audience has, but I know that many of them are reachable. Many of them are part of the Health Excel network as well. So there are ways to get in touch and get deeper. And I'm sure we'll have some of the guests back. But 
I'll start flying through these, maybe just as a recap before we get to kind of the macro trends that we're seeing and specifically Health Excel is seeing. But one of our guests was Andy Molnar, the fearless CEO of Digital Therapeutic Alliance. I just saw they posted something, which is a great idea to actually have a DTA summit. Looks like they announced the dates, June 7th to 9th in Washington, D.C., how appropriate, as I think the access to prescription Well, because they're lobbying for stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm really, really curious what's going to happen to the bipartisan introduced, bipartisan act, right? Access to the prescription digital therapies of 2022. I think all eyes are on CMS for this. Yeah, I think this would be really interesting. I'm curious to know what DTA have in mind for their summit and I guess how it differs from all the other conferences, given all the work they're putting into evidence generation, creating those frameworks and really lobbying for coverage of PDTs, regulation of PDTs. So I think it should bring a new, fresh perspective and perhaps one that's much more rigor driven at this conference. So I guess it's TBD. I'm excited for it. Well, for our listeners, I'm sure you can check this out. We'll add it to the show notes, to the link. Just a quick shout out, Mike Pace continues to be the LinkedIn master of digital therapeutics. I love his weekly, I think pretty much weekly summaries. I know he's also a member of the Health Excel community, so I'm sure providing huge value there as well. Yeah, Mike is phenomenal. He runs market access series of masterclasses, so the kind of do's and don'ts of how to bring a DTX to market in the United States. I absolutely love his weekly updates on how many new DGAs are being covered and what's in, what's out. So super insightful. And then our friends at MedRhythms, first of all, congrats to Brian Owen and team. They've been selected as the next big things in tech by Fast Company. I think that was somewhat shortly after our episode aired. And then just very recently, they announced positive top-line results from the pivotal trial in chronic stroke. Again, to me, just amazing to see truly music as medicine. Yeah, I agree. I'll never forget the time that I watched Brian speak at one of the Health Excel Global Gatherings many years ago now, and he actually did a bit of a jig to introduce the concept. And it's etched in my memory, the fact that they're also validating it very rigorously, I think really adds to the credibility of what Owen and Brian are building here. So congratulations to them. And I'm curious to see the traction it gets on the back of these trials. Indeed. Going to jump back to Grady at Nightwear. It was great to see that they've been featured in Time Magazine, much-needed technology for sleep for veterans and beyond, of course. And also, they've been listed as top 10 studies in the Journal of Clinical Sleep Medicine. So congrats to the team there. I think Nightwear is really interesting because it's so simple, right? It's just a watch that you can have by your bedside and it tracks the quality of your sleep and your nightmares and things. So I think the simplicity of what they're trying to do, and they have a breakthrough device designation as well. So Hopefully, we'll see them making more moves and like MedRhythms, I guess, producing more results on their trials. I did put something on LinkedIn the other day that it's always easy when you're not the one doing it. So just a quick comment. It looks so simple and easy. And I agree, right? The utility of it ultimately is what helps patients. Next up, I'm going to jump to Bioformis. 
was interesting. We aired the episode in July, and then the next month, on top of the $300 million they raised, they topped it up from Intel, another $20 million. Just goes to show that key components, technology, remote monitoring is absolutely of interest out there at the micro and macro level. And then just very recently, they announced a big partnership with Orlando Health, where they will be literally powering up. I don't know if that's the term they're using, but for a hospital at home. We've seen, I think, a lot more happening there in general. I think with Bioform, is, they seem like this all-inclusive platform and digital therapeutics are part of the offering. They have like a remote monitoring service. It seems like they're building what I would look at as almost a tech company in health. They've definitely morphed into kind of a tech-enabled healthcare services. And actually, I still remember, and we're going to have some interesting guests coming up as well here, but... Our presenting partner, Amalgam RX, the first season, I keep referring to it, but Chris Bergstrom says maybe the future of DTX company is not DTX at all. And it makes you kind of ponder exactly what you said, that DTX might be inside as part of that value chain. The question becomes, how scalable is that by itself? Because similar challenges and issues persist, whether you quote unquote, take a molecule or you're prescribed a digital therapeutic. We're all human beings and adherence to those tools. This is where health coaching comes in as well, helping people understand their goals and surrounding a lot of this. Yeah, I was thinking about, say, Mark Cuban's drug company or Amazon's prescription pharmacy service. I think if we build a tech company that way that had all these digital therapeutics and assets that they could sell, basically, I wonder if we could scale it that way for those who are listening and maybe know Mark Cuban very well personally, I did drop him an email. I wanted him on the DTX podcast. I have the tracking on. He has not said yes just yet. But for those who are listening, would love to have him on because again, to your point, it's not about cost plus drugs necessarily, but he's been able to find almost like a direct-to-consumer model. And the question is, can you get those at scale and be part of that marketplace, for lack of a better term? I'm going to jump to Kagnoa, Sharif Taraman. Well, he's a pediatric neurologist and he was the chief medical officer. He stepped up, I think, November-ish of last year as the CEO. So they're now officially looking for chief medical officer, Chandana. Have they reached out? Eugene, <laughs> I've graduated as well, as you know. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. My loyalties lie with Health Excel, but no, listen, that's amazing. And I think it'll be a really exciting role and organization to be part of, right? Especially in the role of chief medical officer, because you'd be spearheading a lot of the evidence generation strategies and the trial design. I think that's a really pivotal role for an organization like Cognova that is an evidence-based digital therapeutic we're going to jump to finally the merger or acquisition. Never know who buys who, but at the end of the day, it's the merger of two huge health systems, Advocate Aurora Health and Atrium Health. We had Stephen Driver on in December. They kind of officially completed and it became Advocate Health. Six million patients, 27 billion in revenue, over 20,000 physicians and 40,000 nurses. And our question always has been, you and I have been asking, what happens, especially to the PDTs, the prescribers need to be aware. And of course, Steve himself as kind of the director of digital therapeutics, let's see what the larger group brings and curious on your thoughts on this. 
But I also think in addition, the attrition of nurses and doctors is a real problem post-COVID and a lot of health systems are grappling with it. So I think bringing the forces together makes a lot of sense to amplify their reach and their impact on patient populations. And maybe they'll tap into based on Aurora's background in supporting digital therapeutics. They might be the faster adopters than the rest of the health systems. More than a digital angle, yeah, I think for me, it's solving a lot of that attrition problem we're seeing in the industry right now. It's the attrition, it's access to care, it's the hospital at home and leveraging digital therapies and tools for remote patient monitoring, continuous feedback loop. We all know the buzzword bingo, but it seems to be showing outcomes as well, broadly speaking. Yeah, it's all very real. Our challenges as humans going through many conditions and comorbidities are real. They're here. And so we're going to be relying on our healthcare system, not continue being sick care, but healthcare, right? You mentioned earlier a little bit of a marketplace. You alluded to cost plus drug. I do want to bring back Evernorth discussion that we had in early September. And then just two weeks after airing, which we couldn't talk about on the episode itself much, but they also announced a couple of pilot programs, Jasper Health in Oncology, Zarigo in, I believe, Dermatology, Hinge Health, just another one in MSK. And so what are your thoughts? I guess PBMs have been traditionally known for these formularies. Are you thinking formulary or a true marketplace, or do they really differ? I don't know. And what do you think in terms of the companies you listed, they now feature on Evernote's formulary? Is it true marketplace? I would not say it is because you go upselling to the large employers. There's too many levels. It's about the proximity to the end buyer. And in terms of the proximity, a formulary is a few steps away. Whereas if we did have, hypothetically speaking, a true marketplace for digital therapeutics, that would be very close to the patient or the consumer to access. And I don't know if we've created one, and I don't know what some of the complexities could be in doing that, right? Because if it is a prescription digital therapeutic, you can't actually access it directly from a marketplace. So you still need an in-between person. But I wonder if a company existed or a platform existed where you could potentially be dispensed this product, but then the physicians are part of that service as well to give you that prescription. Would love our listeners' feedback and thoughts on this. Always be learning, as I like to say, right? We always are. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Chandana Fitzgerald, CEO of Health Excel and my partner on this podcast. Last but not least, there's so many that I kind of skipped over, not for any reason, just literally did some random lookups preparing for this. <laughs> <laughs> so Aptar and Kiesi announced a partnership initially focused in Europe for COPD and asthma, leveraging the Aptar disease management platform. We've had Sai and Pierre, there's been a number of acquisitions by Aptar Digital Health Unit. For me, without kind of diving too deep into it, also Kiesi and Kaya announced a number of things around COPD earlier on. So I'm curious how that all ties together, Aptar, Kiesi, Kaya, as it comes to the COPD, but maybe we'll hear more from future guests. We'll see. Yeah. Does that mean Volantis is getting into the pulmonary space? This is really interesting. And Eugene, you brought this up earlier. 
So over the Christmas holidays, I was diagnosed with asthma and I'm under medication and stuff and I'm fine. But it just hit me then because I had many months of symptoms and suffering and I was just on and off a lot of antibiotics, all the wrong stuff. I think it was very clear to me as the recipient of the service that it was sick care and not health care. So there was nothing about quality of life or the impact of triggers day to day, all of that stuff. It was just medication driven. And I had to figure it out myself in terms of what do I want to introduce or remove from my lifestyle that would help in the management of it. So for me, it further emphasized the importance of some of the work we're doing here, literally even for my own use. Those breathing techniques and things that they have on a lot of these apps, there's a lot of science and evidence behind them. And those things improve your quality of life and help in disease management so much better. And I know this now firsthand. The interesting part you mentioned, you're a trained doctor, assume that you know how to navigate and for you to even get the diagnosis before you even get to try to improve your condition with all the novel tools and science back tracks and breathing techniques, you have to get to the diagnosis first. Well, let's step back. I'd love to hear what you guys are kind of seeing tracking at Health Excel. I know there's been dozens of digital therapeutic meetings slash webinars slash not meetings, but would love to hear kind of at a macro level. Yeah, I've been thinking about what's happening in our industry quite a lot, given the economic headwinds that we're all facing at the moment. And it's affecting, obviously, the digital health and the digital therapeutics industry in a big way. One of the things that I've noticed, and maybe you have as well, there was a phase some years ago where every company wanted to be called a digital therapeutic. Everyone jumped on that bandwagon. And now I think things are very real. The expectation of what one needs to deliver as a digital therapeutic bar so high that I'm not seeing that sort of volume anymore. And it's very interesting. I think now we're clearly diversifying into remote monitoring platforms or broader digital health and the purest DTX products. I couldn't agree more. I remember still in wearing my previous hat. So this was over three years ago in Big Pharma where we had digital therapeutic as a quote unquote challenge. And to your point, everybody was just kind of qualifying themselves. Fully agree that there seems to be more of that separation, which I think Brian Dolan was one of the early proponents of stratifying this to a PDT versus non-PDT. And I agree that DTX, while again, there's many players that are still considered digital therapies, just not FDA approved necessarily, but from a prescription digital therapy, all eyes seem to be on that when it comes to the three letters DTX. That's right. And it's pretty clear that some of early pioneers in PDT are the ones who are really pushing the envelope in trying to get reimbursement regulation frameworks changed. So that's really good. And I can see that's continuing on. I was just going to comment real quick on that. Some of them are public companies now. And of course, overall stock market has taken a beating, but so did a lot of these companies. And just kudos for, let's call it perseverance, belief, Yeah, it just takes grit. And actually, given the fact that there's been show of outcomes, it's again, that persistence to say, this is going to be great for patients. So there are many naysayers out there. I completely agree. One of the other things, and given we have such a big member base within life sciences, I think what's happened is I'm noticing there's been quite a bit of spotlight on some partnerships that perhaps have not had the expected outcomes 
have not been as successful as they were touted out to be at the beginning. And that may have mired the reputation, so to speak, or the willingness to take a chance to experiment. We get these questions a lot and the types of language and words, sorry, that we tend to use are being asked about de-risk. How do you de-risk a partnership with the digital therapeutic? I think that lingo itself tells you the perception. But that said, I think there's newer ways in which pharma are starting to think about digital therapeutic partnerships. So it's no longer this, okay, I'll just add this wrapper around. I think that's a little bit old school now. And a lot of the traction that I'm seeing anyway is when it's actually in the R&D phase, when you're actually combining the two and they're undergoing trials. But I'm sure people will challenge me and rightly so that we don't actually have such a product in the market just yet. But that's probably where there's a bit of appetite to try because it'll be part of the label claim from the pharmaceutical side. I'm still a big, let's call it a believer, the fact that still pharma companies, what they do great is develop molecules. And I think they need real world data to continue defending their pricing. So I think that's still going to continue being the number one use case. I think to carry something like a digital therapeutic, let's call it even a companion on a label, is very challenging because the two worlds just don't meet from a life cycle management perspective component. What my gut is 2023 will bring probably more acquisition of assets. That's my thought process because there's cuts everywhere, I think, in most of the industries these days. But I think as budget cuts home in, the first budgets that do get cut, good, bad, or indifferent, are innovation budgets. And a lot of that, again, very focused then on back to the molecule and then defending or increasing the pricing of the molecule. So I do think we're going to see some acquisitions, probably quiet ones, just more from an asset perspective for the stuff that may end up in a graveyard, not because it wasn't great technology, just commercial traction as we started talking about. That's interesting because I don't see it that way necessarily, but we'll see what happens, right? Because they don't know the value of DTX. They don't know how much money can make them. And therefore, it would be a risky acquisition. Or maybe because of the way the market is at the moment, they might be able to buy something on the cheap. You know, it's possible. Well, that's my prediction. It's less about a functioning and approved DTX necessarily. It's like a little bit of that in-licensing model that pharma typically has. So if a DTX have gone through, let's call it phase one, maybe it's a good time to buy the asset, just purely asset technology and the existing clinical trial outcomes. We'll see what happens to your point. Yeah. And maybe some other business models that digital therapeutics companies are dabbling with to gain more traction. I thought one that started the freemium model last year was interesting. I don't have any stats on outcomes from it. And again, it's super interesting because it's not like you can upgrade directly by yourself after freemium because it is a prescription DTX. So once you use your free version and you like it, then you need to go to your physician and get it prescribed. So I don't know how they're making that connection between the two steps, but for me, that's very interesting to try it before you buy it. Let's see if we can get that company on this year with us. Would love to also learn. I think we've been talking about a special prescription digital therapeutic. Well, the doctors need to know. And in many cases, doctors learn about new technologies and from patients. And so 
to your point, is this an interesting channel to give one CBT or whatever that may be, two weeks, three weeks for free, and then beyond it, bring awareness to these individuals' physicians? So kind of brute force the prescription market that way. Let's see. I completely agree with you. So I guess the summary is we haven't cracked OTC market strategy. Yeah, I think it's out there. And again, for those who are listening and know Mark Cuban, let's bring him on, people. I know it's not true OTC, but again, what he's doing in the marketplace. Yeah. And one other theme that I'm really hearing about, but I don't know enough to have an opinion, to be honest, is if MedTech is the next home for products like these, because medtech companies know how to do regulation. They know how to handle data. I think a lot of those elements that perhaps are new to pharma or the companies themselves, it's their bread and butter really for medtech companies. We had Jason Brook on last season, right, who comes from medical device and SAMD regulation. So let's see what happens. I think to your point, DTX has been stuck somewhere between a medical device treatment of it and a pharma molecular treatment of it. It's difficult as it is, and now you're stuck between the two worlds a bit with the patient positive impact, hopefully. So definitely challenging. And you know where that really manifested itself was when Bay Therapeutics actually applied to be covered under DME. So when you have an FDA approval as a software, as a medical device, but then you can't get coverage under CMS as a medical device. So that's DME. It's very interesting because that's almost contradictory in itself. It's in the name, right? (laughs) Right. Certainly going to be an interesting year. One quick thing, and I know we were chatting a bit on some of the reimbursement stuff earlier, and I think you gave me the stat that you saw that something like for the roughly 40 PDTs, Medicaid? It's both Medicaid and Medicare. Okay, both. You're going to spend somewhere around $600 million in 10 years on PDTs. It sounds like a lot. But then goes into the viability of companies that are pure PDTs, because if you divide that up across, let's call it 40 companies to start with and 10 years, what's the investment cycle into these, right? And are we going to see continued investment by the venture capital community into this? I think PDTs are harder because it's a 10-year view, roughly, though one would argue to build any business, you need a solid 10 years to get it to scale. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's just a guesstimate that some agency put out there. It's anyone's guess, really. But I wonder if that number is motivating enough to be a market to pursue, really. What if we had 500 PDTs? And if that's the amount that's going to be used to cover all of them, I think we have a problem. We know that a lot of these reports, I think Matthew Holt makes fun of the commas and the dots in many of them, and that they need to be all moved around. So we'll see. But just an interesting conversation sparker here for us and for this community. So that's, I think, a wrap for us to hear. And would love to hear from our listeners. Who do you want to hear on this podcast? Topics and questions, whether it's to specific potential guests or something that we can cover. So thank you, Chandana, for your continued support and being brave enough to continue working with me on this. Well, thank you for keeping me on. I'm glad I made the cut a third time. So it's been a pleasure, Eugene. Always. 
thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time. Thank you.